0: Well, good evening good evening good evening everybody and welcome to a new episode of he said he said he said a look at the world from a seasoned black man's perspective i'm your host alvin king and thank you all for joining us on this friday november the 25th well i don't know if you know it or not but it is officially the christmas holidays see see my- That's the christmas tree and i am totally totally in the christmas spirit ladies and gentlemen Thank you for joining us tonight. And for those people who have partaked in Black Friday, I'm gonna say that driving on the road today, either you were very busy buying up a whole bunch of stuff or some of you just said, you know what, I'm not going outside and I'm just gonna let it be. But whatever you did, I hope that you were safe with it and um, you you made it through the day. Again, thanks for joining us tonight. World AIDS Day is scheduled for, two, for Thursday, December the 1st of this year, and the theme is Equalize, urging each of us to address the inequalities which are holding back progress in ending AIDS. Our show is fitting tonight because on this 41st anniversary, since uh, AIDS and HIV was declared a national epidemic, we have the organization who's been at the forefront since the beginning. Dr. Stephen Abbott, medical director for the new Max Robinson Center under the Whitman Walker Health Incorporated. He's here tonight and the new facility will be opening in 2023 after receiving a generous $2 million uh, award from from NIH. And he's here to talk about how this new state-of-the-art facility will bring quality access uh, to care for individuals and families in the Ward 7 and Ward 8 section of Washington, DC. These wards particularly experience uh, lower life expectancy rates, higher mortality rates, and are more likely to be uninsured. So this is a really good thing for Ward 7 and 8. And also tonight, in our special feature, We See You, where we recognize black owned and operated businesses, we have with us tonight celebrity pastry chef Mr. Bates, that's right ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Bates is here. Um, I was uh, uh, gifted one of his cakes, we'll show you later on, but I was gifted one of his cakes about two years ago for a birthday present and I was told that he was the man to watch and the cake was delicious. But anyway, he's here tonight and he's here to talk with us about his incredible journey into the world of entertainment and how he's using um, his platform to advocate for the LGBTQIA community. Again, Mr. Bake is here, ladies and gentlemen. And one last thing before I go on, I need to give a special shout out to um, my family, the McKinley Tech Senior High School family. Um, this is our 45th anniversary uh, this weekend of graduating from high school. And you know, I, I'm i telling you, it was a, a, McKinley Tech was an amazing place to be, and I'm sure it still is. but. We are, we are thriving, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing my uh, schoolmates on tomorrow. So, okay, enough about that chat. Let's get on with the chat of the show, and let me bring in my co host Mr. Bodhi and Mr. Bobby Edwards. How you guys doing? Hey.
1: Hello.
2: Hey,
0: hey, hey, hey. Hey, season greetings, everybody.
1: <laughs> yeah. Happy post-Thanksgiving. Happy post-Thanksgiving to you.
0: So um, can anybody, anybody want to share how was your Thanksgiving?
1: I had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I had a, a wonderful time with some friends and got lots of calls and texts during the day, but I ate like a king last night, including my good brother Sundiata's uh, gumbo, which was like the icing on my cake uh, uh, for, for Thanksgiving.
0: All right for that pull-up of Sundiata's gumbo. <laughs> yes, <laughs> indeed. Yeah, yes, it was indeed. delicious. <laughs> we can i like tasting well. that. We can get it at
2: Cyndiata's house near you, okay? <laughs> <laughs>
0: we we'll love that, yeah. Yeah. Okay, how about you, Vos?
2: It was really lovely. Got a chance to spend it with some people that I've been spending uh, Thanksgivings with over the last couple of years. Very lovely, tasty food, great company. It was a really, really good time. And what about you?
0: I had a great time. Um, I saw my favorite two aunts yesterday and my favorite cousins on my mom's side. And I mean, it was just—I I just loved every minute of it. So it was, it was a great day to be with family, and we did something that I haven't done in a long time. After we ate, we played games, oh, nice. and and oh, I just, nice. I just, I just loved it. And so, um, so it, it was a great day. It was a great day. And you know, hold on—I'm looking at this at the <coughs> and I saw Sean popped up, but I don't see him in the um, in the comment section. So hey, Sean, how you doing, man? Thanks for joining us. So I don't know what's going on with that. I, I know some folks are up in here, but um, anyway, we, we, we're, we're going to move on. So, um, again, thank you guys for sharing, um,
2: you know, what you did for Thanksgiving. really appreciate it and great to see Absolutely. you. All. Lots of thank blessings. Thank you. Right on. Thank you. And just to catch up with what's going on in the news, you know, more things are developing with the uh, nightclub thank shooting you. in Colorado at Club Q. Just such a tragedy. You know, my thoughts are are with the families and the the friends and the people that were affected by that amazing shooting. And, you know, something just has to be done. Um, There has been an interview with the father of the shooter. I'm not sure if you guys have seen that. It's just a crazy piece of reporting um, where the father talks about hearing after he hears that his son has killed all these people. He just said, well, I'm just glad he's not gay. Like somehow being a, you know, a, an assassin is better than being gay. It was just I'm, kind of an incredible sorry, thing to watch.
1: Bosh, I didn't hear that. So the, the, I, I the person who shot the victims in the in Club Q. Right. His father said he's just glad that his son is not gay.
2: Right. He heard that there was a shooting up in the club and that it was a gay club. And he was like, oh, I hope he's not gay. Wow. Yeah, like, I, oh, I, I hope so I'm glad
0: you opinion. told me because the next time I see something that that will show any stories related to that his father, I I don't want to see it. You know what I'm saying? So I'm glad you told me that, boss. I hadn't heard that. So that that's it's disheartening. Yeah. yeah, it yeah. really is. And it goes
2: back to the conversation we were having a few weeks ago, with, which is, are the parents of these people that commit these atrocious gun violence incidents, are the parents somehow responsible? And this guy, when you listen to the interview, you're like, you are 100% responsible. Exactly, wow. yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's again, kind of we're, we're, we're right <laughs> on target with that again, but thank you, I won't, I'm going to avoid that at all costs. So. Yeah. You know, but but it's it's I, I'm praying for the folks um, at the, um, the, the nightclub shooting um, that happened, at the nightclub, there were five people who were, uh, who were shot. And I, I don't know if we have an, an image of, of, of them, um, but there were five people that, that were shot. And, I, I'll, um,
1: and I'll just say five that were actually killed. There were actually more killed. people who were shot. Yes. Oh, five wow. who died, yes. Five who passed away, right.
2: Wow. And let's say their names. Kelly Loveling, loving Daniel Aston. Raymond Green Vance, Ashley Paul, and Derek Rump.
1: We speak their names.
2: We speak their name.
1: Definitely. Yeah.
2: yeah. Prayers yeah. to their family. Prayers yeah. to their family. All, All right. right. All right. Wow. On a positive note, mm-hmm. November 20th was a uh, trans day of remembrance. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't know if there was uh, some sort of irony of the incident, et cetera, but it's. Yeah. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's nice that we take the time to acknowledge that trans people exist. Exactly. Remember those that have passed away and vow to make sure that we don't lose any more to senseless violence.
1: Exactly. Visibility uh-huh. is critical and important. And mm-hmm. all that we know suggests that transgender uh, abuse, violence, and death continues to be a very, very um, unspoken uh, issue in our society.
0: Mm-hmm. And then. I know we saw we saw some folks that come in again. I, I to our viewers, I cannot see you. I cannot see you, but I know Rose is on, and mm-hmm. and and Lamont, um, the 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 um, uh, the dating coach from from WayToMeet dot He is on. He's going to be with us. Hey Lamont, how you doing? He's going to be with us in January. Thanks for joining us tonight. The gay dating um, coach. That's that's, Yeah. That's, oh, that's, yeah. I mean, we're, I'm intrigued here. you. <laughs> you how to get, get your year started off right. Um, you know, I, I, I have a feel good moment I want to share with everybody. For, well, it, it is a feel good moment because um, about six months ago, maybe seven or eight months ago, or I'm sorry, was that six years ago? Was that how long ago?
2: I don't know. Covid years well, I mean, have have things changed. I mean, I'm talking
0: about Virginia McLaurin. Um, oh, it was it was 2016. I think that she right actually, 2016. I yeah. I got my dates mixed up. Yeah. This is Virginia uh, McLaurin. That's she right. um DC was she was she was 107 right? at that time.
1: At
2: the time at, at that, that judge, she visited, was with her mommy, yeah.
0: And she got a chance to meet the Obamas at, at the White House, and she danced with them. Her video went viral. Absolutely. Well, today she was laid to rest yes. at age 113. One thirteen is that amazing? Wow. One thirteen. If I could live that long, what could I do? I'm not quite <laughs> sure I
1: want to be lived. I don't know. I'm not think I want saying to live nothing. To be 113. No.
0: But rest well,
1: Miss McLaurin. Amen. Okay. <laughs> Amen. 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 Rest Amen. in peace. A wonderful resident of the dc area washington washingtonian so we want to we want to shout her out absolutely amen
0: so um i think bobby we got some other there was some other uh sightings with the obama that absolutely absolutely we want
1: to talk about you know as we were talking about uh you know ms mclaren as an elderly person who got to meet the obamas it, it was not the only time this past saturday uh, in Philadelphia, Michelle Obama, who is on tour right now for her, her book, the, What Is It? The Light We, we Carry. Um, she was on tour and she uh, had a stop in Philadelphia. And there were these uh, two women, Eloise Brown, who is about to turn 100 years old. Somehow she, word got out to Mrs. Obama's team uh, that she was ecstatic about the possibility of meeting Mrs. Obama. They She was sent tickets and she was sent Tickets with the spring chicken with her. They're her 95 year old sister. Um, they got to, to actually get to uh, go to the, uh, the book presentation and meet Mrs. Obama. She actually came out um, afterwards and, and, and greeted them. And it, the story was, as you were saying with the other one, went viral. Um, and as someone who was a caregiver to his mother, uh, my mom lived to be 98 years old. Here she is uh, during a tour of the White House uh, that we were blessed to be able to uh, actually attend during the Obama administration, I can just say to you that uh, they, part of their legacy also is their attention to and deference to uh, elderly people. And I think as a society in America, uh, we somehow are not at the same level as many other countries in terms of the respect and the deference that we offer uh, the elderly. And so it was just a beautiful, as Ms. McLaren was being laid to rest at 113 years old, here were also these other two women um, at a hundred, almost a hundred years old, ninety-five years old, and me thinking about my mom, who lived to be ninety-eight, uh, who also had the pleasure of being able to to visit the White House. That it's um, you know, it's it's certainly not the legacy of our the president who came after them, um, right. and certainly seems to be a bit more uh, reminiscent of the Bidens.
0: See, you almost, you almost, you almost took me out of my joy space. Okay, but uh, <laughs> talking about that, that, that was there president after president of, i'm sorry yeah biden um <laughs> okay there you, go. <laughs> there you go um but thank you guys thank you guys are you guys ready to uh move on with the show because Absolutely. I, sorry, we've got
1: a very sorry, special guest yeah uh,
0: about having uh this guest here tonight and we have some very um some very some very important questions that we want to ask him and so Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the uh, he, said, he, said, he said stage, Dr. Stephen Abbott, Medical Director with the Max Robinson Health Center, Whitman Walker
3: Health Incorporated. Hello, everyone.
0: Hey, hey, how you doing, Stephen?
3: <laughs> I'm well, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's good to thank be you. here. Thank you
0: for being here. And, and, and we know that it's Thanksgiving week, and so again- I'm just going, I'm, I'm really grateful that you were able to adjust your schedule and be here with us. It really means a lot. So thank you. No thank problem. You thank you. So um, Dr. Abbott, can you mm-hmm. take about 60 to 90 seconds to tell our viewers about your role as the uh, medical director uh, for the Max Robinson Center?
3: Sure. So uh, Max Robinson Health Center is a community health clinic that's in Southeast D.C. We're on uh, 2301 Martin Luther King Avenue. We are actually named in honor of a gentleman, Max Robinson, who was an African-American man who died of AIDS in 1988. He was a news anchor at ABC News. He um, co-hosted the Nightly News nationally um, right before he passed. Um, And at the time that he got sick, he did not disclose his status for various reasons. It was 1988. There's still a lot of stigma around HIV, but there was even more back then. But when he passed away, he wanted his family to let people know that that was what was the cause of his ultimate demise. And um, in honor of him, we we have been providing HIV care in Southeast for over 20 years. Um, I am an infectious disease specialist. I've been at Whitman-Walker for six years and I took on the role as site medical director a year ago. We will be transitioning into a new space to provide uh, more access to care and a broader range of services to folks living in Ward 7 and 8.
0: Well, you know, and thank you for sharing that because you made me realize um, most people who know me or follow me is because of my involvement with fashion. And about 20 years ago, I was on tour with uh, with with absolute vodka and of America and I did a big fashion show at the French Embassy, and all the proceeds went to the development of the Max Robinson Center. Wow! And that was twenty years ago, and so wow, you 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 just took me down memory lane. Thank you, uh, even for that. Um, so okay, I'm going to open with with the first question. Um, in your in your personal and professional opinion, as a medical professional. Share with us what you thought it was uh life was like before HIV and AIDS, Stephen.
3: So I I'll be honest, I'm fifty-two. I'm a black gay man who came out in nineteen eighty six. No, actually, <laughs> nineteen eighty-eight. <1988. laughs> What's K. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a scary time I mean you're coming into your sexual out sexuality um when there's a virus out there that um you're hearing horror stories about people are like Arthur Ashe are passing away Max Robinson is passing away um Michael um Magic Johnson discloses his status and everybody's in shock um it 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 was a tough time and and I, I'm I'm not old enough to know what it was like before, but it was a tough time um, negotiating identity, sexuality, relationships, and to some degree, it still is. Um, I don't think any of that has really gone away. Um, but the the difference today is that we have multiple modes of treatment and prevention that we didn't have back then, mm-hmm. and um, fortunately, I think a lot of folks who are now coming to terms with their sexuality, their identity. Um, aren't faced with the same fear and, quite honestly, trauma that many of us older folks went through. Mm-hmm. Um, they aren't burying friends. Like uh, Between undergrad and med school, I actually had about seven years. I'm kind of a non-traditionalist in many ways, including my path to med school. Um, and During that time, I actually buried three friends of mine. They were all oh. black gay men who had college degrees. They had good jobs with insurance, but they just never cre- connected with care, and they ended up ultimately dying from, uh, um, deaths that were preventable. Mm. Um, and so that was actually one of the reasons why I ended up in the field I'm in today. Um, people I'm surprised still think of HIV as a death sentence. Um, there are fewer diagnoses now, thankfully, but, um, treatment has become incredibly easy and very straightforward. It's not 1992 where people were taking eight pills a day with horrible side effects and, Really had um, impacts in their quality of life. Today, folks can be on one pill once a day with minimal, if any, side effects, achieving an undetectable viral load and live normal, healthy lives. I actually Mm -hmm. see and work with patients whose HIV is the least of their um, Mm -hmm. medical problems. I often have folks who will have a harder time controlling their diabetes or their COPD or their obesity. I mean, Mm -hmm. They can take their pill once a day and keep their viral load undetectable. And now we have long-acting injectables. So I have about ten happen. folks who are getting uh, their treatment through an injection every other month and don't even wow. have to take pills. Wow. I mean, it's it's a world of difference compared to 1992. Yeah. Um, but I think some of the underlying issues of access to care, stigma, fear, um, disclosure are, are are still there. Yeah.
1: Wow. Well, wow, uh, that's the, that's an amazing um, uh, story you share. Um, I am 61, and so I am indeed old enough to, to remember um, having to bury more than a, uh, enough friends to this disease. Uh, among those, including my own sister, uh, who uh, in 95 succumbed to the disease as a 30-year-old uh, heterosexual woman, as an African-American woman, the health uh, community was clearly not necessarily Putting a lot of focus in in that community, uh, and and as a Washingtonian, I'm very familiar with uh, Whitman Walker, um, which has a certainly a, a a local reputation, but also a national reputation. Um, so, could you share with us a little bit, Stephen, about you know what Whitman Walker has done in the fight against AIDS, both locally and nationally?
3: So historically, Whitman Walker uh, was sort of born out of a STI clinic that served uh, mainly gay men, and then they added lesbian um, and uh, women's health services. And then in the late 80s, when HIV hit, we were one of the only places in DC where people could go to get care. Um, Every HIV medicine that's now uh, in in use um, has been tested If you will, at Women Walker, we have a very large research department and been involved in multiple clinical trials, clinical trials for everything from AZT to the new injectable medications. Um, We work very hard to provide care to everyone, um, regardless of uh, insurance status, sexual orientation, race, gender identity. Um, Our goal is to be a place where people feel safe, where they can come be their authentic selves and live healthier lives, um, not just to the HIV status, but we also provide care for people living with opioid use disorder through medically assisted treatments. We work with folks who are transgender and provide gender affirming services. um, And we do primary care. So um, we have expanded quite a bit over the years. Um, There was a point where we were seen as as the AIDS clinic because that was a large part of what we did Um, but we have since become a federally qualified healthcare center, and we do see everyone, um, but we are still rooted in our origins and our history of being an LGBTQ clinic with a focus on uh, providing excellent HIV services. Wow. I'm thoroughly
2: intrigued by this notion that there is a once every two months, injectable yeah. experience um, to to treat HIV and and to prevent AIDS. Um, that's huge in terms of the the amount of advancements in care. Uh, you know, as we were talking about putting together the show, we did want to kind of understand these advancements. Although they seem to be accelerating, did they lag because? HIV
3: and AIDS was still considered to be a gay disease? So I won't, I, I do believe that there is institutional racism and homophobia in healthcare, but mm. I don't think that's the reason why some of these um, therapies took longer than anybody would have wished. Um, advancing healthcare, particularly with a virus, is quite as, for lack of a better word, tricky like HIV, um, mm. has just taken time. Okay. Um, When when the pandemic hit and everybody was rushing to uh, the healthcare industry to come up with answers, it really reminded me of what it was like in the first uh, several years of HIV and AIDS that people came to us for answers and we didn't have those answers. Those answers have taken time. Um, we want to be sure that we do things in a very methodical fashion that's, you know, driven by the science and and, and is safe and effective before we roll it out into the into uh, offering people new treatments. Um, these injectables have been in the pipeline for several years. Um, we've been hearing about them and hearing about them, and they're finally here. Um, right now, it's just one. It's called Cabenuva. It's actually two injections, one in each chip. Um and there are there's some eligibility criteria. There, there It's not one size fits all. Not everybody is going to be able to take advantage of this option. And some folks don't want to be burdened with the, the twice every other month visit to the office to get the injection. But it's nice to know that we have multiple tools in our toolbox when it comes time to actually offer somebody therapy as opposed to 1992 when all we had was AZT. I mean... We've come a long way, there's still a long way to go, but this virus is proving to be quite um, villainous, for lack of a better word. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: Even still, you even find still that it still is a wily kind of a virus that's hard to pin down?
3: Yeah, so the problem is the virus actually incorporates itself into the host genome, the genetic material of, for instance, white blood cells. And that makes it very difficult to eradicate. Um, Unlike other viruses that replicate in other parts of the body that don't insert themselves into the genetic code of a a host cell, you can clear it, you can clear the infection. This Mm -hmm. infection has a a nasty ability to linger. Like Mm -hmm. the the people who have been cured, so to speak, are folks who had their white, their immune system's wiped out because they were getting treatment for uh, lymphoma or leukemia and they Mm -hmm. had a bone marrow transplant. Mm -hmm. I mean, HIV can be cured, but in some cases the cure may actually cause more harm than Mm -hmm. good. But if you have Mm -hmm. leukemia and that's your only course of treatment, um, you get a two for one. But um, (laughs) the problem is we don't know how to get Uh, the virus out of these cells that aren't actively replicating that are Mm. lying dormant as their normal function in in the immune system. So that Mm -hmm. there's always going to be what we call a reservoir and Mm. um, folks are trying to figure out how to activate that reservoir or maybe better, better uh, option would be to come up with a therapeutic vaccine so that somebody who's positive would get vaccinated and develop antibodies that would neutralize the virus. Anytime it um, raised its ugly head. So there, there are lots of um, really smart people who've been working at this for their entire careers, and we're making progress. It's just taken longer than um, anybody would have ever expected.
0: I'm, I'm just going to say right now, I'm going to thank you a few times during this conversation. But for what you just explained just now, uh, and and how where I've been with okay we are at a place where there are drugs or that are available or the drugs that uh, people who are living with AIDS and HIV are taking Mm -hmm. that put them in a undetectable mode. So my, I I've been battling, well, if you can do that, why can't you find a cure? You know what I'm saying? And so to have you just explain it the way you just did, uh, Stephen, it really helped me. And because I've been battling with, with that, or at least four, what, three or four years mm-hmm. since um, that whole um, what do you call it, uh, the whole uh, being undetectable and what the meaning mm-hmm. of all that is. So thank you for explaining that.
1: Stephen, uh, one yeah. of the things you mentioned also was that um, you know this generation as a result of some of their experiences and, and the resources and medicines that are available to them now, they don't necessarily have the same recall that we have in terms of the harshest sides of it, and it's not like their lives are not impacted, but they're certainly impacted in a very different way. Do you feel in any way that that's worked in some ways as a disadvantage in terms of people's um, being uh, vigilant or just being protective of their of their own health?
3: yeah, that's a great question because yeah. I often find myself having to check my response, particularly when somebody finds out the diagnosis and they're not particularly disturbed by it um, like when I was 24, 25, somebody got that diagnosis, they saw it as a death sentence because so many people were dying. Um, And so we took measures to modify our behavior and protect ourselves, including, Mm -hmm. you know, aggressive campaigns for condom use and safer sex and limiting your number of partners and knowing your status. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. today that same um, social consciousness, I don't, I, I don't want to say it's not there, and in some ways, I'm glad that it's not there because we've made progress and people aren't dying. But um, you're right; younger folks today aren't dealing with the same set of consequences that we experienced when mm-hmm. when we were younger. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. A, a, a lot of the, I think, the younger generation's attitude is, well, you know, I if I get HIV, you know, I'm not going to die. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it is I, I can keep living and it's not going to really interrupt my life. And that is a very, in my opinion, a very sad place to be because um having HIV is is you have it for the rest of your life. So
3: and for yeah. me in clinical practice, I'm sorry. Um oh, no, go I, ahead. I've had to sort of reframe the way that I look at HIV and pre- and prevention because we now have prevention strategies that the four, four of us didn't have um, access to in the form of PrEP. And we now know that people who are undetectable don't transmit the virus. So mm-hmm. part of the education that I'm doing in clinic with folks is that you know, if you are positive and you get your viral load undetectable, you're not going to transmit it to other people. If you're HIV negative and you're on PrEP, you're not going to become HIV positive. So we want to be sure that we deliver that, that message in a similar fashion to both sets of folks and keep it what we call uh, status neutral hmm. so that if we keep folks undetectable and we provide uh, various means of uh, prevention, we can slow and eventually end the pandemic. Wow.
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna steer this conversation just just slightly off a little bit Stephen I need we need your opinion on something I don't know if you know mm-hmm. about this but uh, Pennsylvania Governor Tom Wolf has signed a law uh, punishing HIV with up to 10 years in 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 prison if a person has a, a HIV and he just signed this new law that makes it a felony to pass on a communicable disease when they, should have known that they had it. And the HIV justice, this is according to the HIV justice network.
2: Mm-hmm. So I don't
0: know if you know about that, but if you do, please shed some light on that and how this law could uh, impact or affect people living with HIV and AIDS.
3: So this issue comes up like on, on a cycle. I don't know if it's like every election year or mm-hmm. um, you know, every five years, but this isn't I'm not that familiar with what's going on in Pennsylvania, but this concept is not a new idea. And what it usually ends up being is that somebody's trying to drive folks to the polls. Like they don't understand medicine, they don't understand um, transmission. Um, they don't understand that even in a court of law, how are you going to prove any of this? Okay. So um, I don't know. I'm sure that it will be aggressively challenged in the legal system and hopefully it'll get shot down in the courts. But it, it, it's a shame that today we're we're still talking about HIV as a, a transmission as a criminal event. Right. I mean, we need to stop stigmatizing, stop criminalizing, and start educating and actually encouraging people who are positive to get in care and on right. treatment.
0: Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, I was a bit disturbed. I don't live in uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, one of my uh, co-hosts does. And I didn't know, I, I wanted to make sure that that we had uh, a discussion on that because it just didn't sound right. But if it comes we up- We have an way. entire
3: legal department and I'm sure we'll be happy to come in and talk to you all about that one. <laughs> bring them on, bring they, them on. They will have a much more articulate and informed answer than I do. <laughs> no, no. They're paid to. They're
1: paid to. <laughs> <laughs> you did mention the use of PrEP, and, you know, I have certainly heard a lot of young people speak to PrEP, but am I mistaken that um, there can also be some false assumptions about PrEP because PrEP does require
3: consistency and, and, and of, of that nature as, as well? So pre-exposure prophylaxis, also called PrEP to prevent HIV infection, can take several forms. It's not, again, one size, fits all for everyone. Um Truvada was the first medication that was approved for PrEP, and then the second generation of Truvada Truvada called Descovy got approved for PrEP. It's basically a backbone of HIV treatments that we've shown. If you take it every day and get exposed to HIV, the virus does not establish infection. The key is you have to take it every day. Um, So it takes about seven days before once you start taking it for it to reach effectiveness, and then you should take it for four weeks after potential exposure. Um, Again, it's not one size fits all. Some people go on it, some people go off it. There is an alternative form of dosing um, that isn't in the official CDC guidelines yet, but folks could take double the dose two hours before a sexual encounter, and then a single dose for four days after that. So in some ways people go on and off it that way. There's also now an injectable, um, much like the injectable HIV treatment, only it's it's one shot instead of two. And when that's in your system, it's more effective than the pills. The key is that if they're going to take it, you have to be consistent and keep yourself covered with this um, biochemical prevention. Um, Otherwise your risk of uh, infection is not prevented. I mean, mm-hmm. if if you don't if you don't take the pill, it's not gonna work. So you've answered you my don't...
1: question. So to yeah. engage in sexually with someone, you are counting on them being consistent and doing what they're supposed
2: to do.
3: No, I'm counting on myself to take the pill. Right. It's about it. you being consistent
2: with what yeah. you're doing. Got it. You know, with your little army running through your bloodstream doing what it needs to do. Yeah. Thank you. So Josh. if if somebody's you know, positive you know, army and they're <laughs> Well, c- congratulations first of all on your position, absolutely at uh, Whitman Walker, and with the new Max Robinson Center. Uh, what really makes this center so much, such a special thing, in
3: addition to the whole Whitman Walker arsenal of healthcare. Oh, it, it's, it's not just the space, but it's what we're gonna be putting into the space. Mm. Um, right now we're serving about 5,000 people out of four exam rooms and uh, two dental chairs. We're gonna be up to 65 exam rooms and I think 12 dental chairs, six floors, 75,000 square feet. We'll be able to see 15,000 people a year and we'll be expanding services to uh, broaden our medically assisted treatment for opioid use disorder um, we'll have more behavioral health options. We'll have an entire division for adolescent care. We'll have radiology services, mammogram, x rays, uh, complete uh, pharmacy. It's going to be a game changer for Women Walker. It will actually become our flagship. Right now, the Northwest Clinic tends to be more of our flagship, but we've, we're, we're making a shift. We're going to be focusing more on Ward 7 and 8 in this new facility.
2: And where's the discotheque going to be? <laughs> well, um, actually, everything. if you go up
3: to the rooftop, <laughs> I have a really exactly. Nice okay.
0: How's
1: everybody pumping through the system on a on a regular basis? And that's that's incredible. I, again, as a Washingtonian, I really want to say to you, um, not only what it will offer, but where it is being offered um, is a is a is a profound statement of, of in many ways.
3: I mean, Whitman Walker is really committed committed to community in ways uh, other organizations I work with haven't been. I mean, um, you know, one example is the way that we responded to the pandemic and the way it responded to monkeypox. I mean, some folks talk the talk, but I think we really do walk the walk. Well, I have yeah, to you say do. You, you here's have your been-
2: website, and clearly, you are still up on on top of Mon- monkeypox and you know, getting service updates and really servicing the community.
0: Well, and you've been a part of my life. I know for 41, for 40 years, Whitman Walker, at least that I remember Whitman Walker has always been a staple or at least a name in D.C. Mm -hmm. uh, as it pertains to um, eradicating uh, HIV and AIDS. Stephen, I know with all that you shared with us today. I'd like for you to take a couple of moments to share some of your favorite success stories about being at Whitman-Walker Health before you leave us.
3: So I'm really proud of the way that we responded to COVID Um, in March 2020 when there was sort of this period where we weren't sure if it was okay to leave our doors open, if we should still be seeing people in person. CDC hadn't really given us guidelines. The D.C. Department of Health was still working it out. I mean, it was an unknown time um, in world history, but we decided very early on that because we have so many patients who are at high risk for uh, death or dying from COVID due to their CD4 count or other immunocompromised conditions, we shut down in-person visits only for people who had symptoms. So we continued to see people who could potentially have COVID so that we could help tr- treat and triage them, mm. but we split everything else to telehealth. And we did it in like four days. I mean, it wow. took um, an effort across departments, IT, um, community health, um, medical, the pharmacy. I mean, the pharmacy shut down and flipped to doing everything um, through, the, through the mail or delivery. Um, and, and it allowed our patients to continue to access care, but stay home and feel safe. Mm-hmm. Um I mean it was it was scary I'm sure I mean we're we're sort of moving on from it now but it was a challenging time and my colleagues continued to show up at work and we were seeing people in our N95s and our full PPE and swabbing them for covid people continued to come to work and do the work that needed to be done even though there was a lot of fear and anxiety about getting exposed so um that is I think the prime example of how we respond to the community's need, and we uh, work together as a team across departments. We're all aligned with the same mission.
2: Nice. Yeah, that's sweet. So, how does someone contribute to Whitman Walker? Financially? (laughs) Yeah. Like I mean, anyway, like what you need, and how do people really? Yeah, not just financially, but
1: how how can one support the various ways one can support that.
3: Um, So we do have a community health department that does a lot of outreach. So if you're holding a a function or an event and you want to have the mobile testing van there to do education and testing, that's always one option. Um, We do take volunteers. There's another department that does that. So there, there was a time, and we're getting back to it now, but we have a sexual health and wellness clinic that's run in the evenings for people to come in and do their STI testing, regardless of whether or not they're a patient with us. Um, and that's completely run by uh, volunteers. So that's an excellent way for somebody who wants to be involved and um, help take care of the community from a, a health perspective. Um, and then we're always glad to take financial contributions. <laughs> right on. And your legal
1: team will thank you for that one, too. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, well, Stephen, we want to thank you for joining us tonight. Um, Like I said, I'm I'm just thanking you like throughout this whole uh, discussion because we really needed to talk about this and we couldn't have done it without you. So thank you for joining us. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together for Dr. Stephen Abbott, site director for the new Max Robinson Center, opening up in Ward 7 and 8 in 2023. Thank you, Stephen, for being here. Don't go away because we're gonna bring you back uh, at the end of the show. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you wow ah, lovely. who knew
1: great information great yeah.
0: information. Who, knew? who knew thank yeah. you guys well I don't know how you I, I hope look I wish I had a plate or something here with with with, with, with our next guest what, what, one of his cakes you're was not something alone. on a plate that I could, because I've had it. So I, I know I'm say, it, he, he You're not alone. You've been talking about this man's baked goods for a while now. So Look, he, somebody gifted me this cake for my birthday two years ago during COVID. And I, I'm telling you, well, I was mad. I didn't want them to eat the cake. Okay. I, I, I didn't want them to take the cake home. I, but this, this gentleman by the name of, Mr. Mm-hmm. Bake, ladies and gentlemen, is right here in the Washington, D.C. area, and he has become a celebrity um, uh, pastry chef. And so we have him here tonight. So we could, we're not even going to belabor this anymore, ladies and gentlemen. Can we bring on Mr. Bake, please? Bam. <laughs>
2: Bam.
0: <laughs> hello, hello, guys. Hey. Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm calling him Kareem, but to everybody else, I've been calling him Mr. Bake, okay? And and either man, one, either Bake.
4: one is fine. Either one is fine. I've been called, obviously, Kareem all my life, but I've been called Mr. Bake for over
0: 15 years. So it's fine. Well, first, I want to congratulate you first, brother, because you you are doing it, Thank okay? You, Thank you. Thank you. You are doing it, and I we are proud to have you on the show, I'm so uh, to keep it moving, Give us about 60 or 90 seconds and tell us what inspired you to become a professional pastry chef to now, Mr. Um, Bake.
4: What inspired me was my love of sweets as a young kid. I've been baking since I have been in fifth grade. Um, I fell in love with sweets at a young age. My family's uh, originally from the South, but I was raised and born in New York City. Um, So I have a lot of Southern uh, qualities and mannerisms in me. And we cook a lot. You already know food is the way to our heart and food is the way to bring everybody together. And that is really what started me on my path. From a young age, I already knew that I wanted to be uh, my own boss. And I had three jobs that I wanted to do. So either uh, the cooking field, the baking field, uh, a teacher or a lawyer. And my middle school wound up having a home economics course. And I wound up signing up for that. And that was really, solidify that this is the path that I was going to take. And I was like, I'll try to intertwine some of the things in it as I continue to navigate um, that. And that's what I did. And I've been doing this for a very long time. As I said, I I went and graduated uh, culinary school. I worked in almost every, a lot of bakeries to learn every aspect of what it meant to manage and own a bakery and soon to own, not own, but um, manage people. Um, and here we are now. And then I took, and then I'm going to get into it. I already know. And then in the course of navigating that, I decided that I wanted to take, um, challenge myself, um, and see what it was to go up against, uh, other, uh, pastry chefs and bakers on national TV, which I, then I led to getting my first competition in 2018 and as well as winning
1: that competition, um, in 2018. What competition was it? It was
4: a one-off show called Bake Like Buddy, which is the Cake Bosses show. Oh, yeah. So I got to serve my award-winning, which what it made become award what, what made it become award-winning was a sweet Potato Cake. And, and it was just over the moon about it and said it was the best cake that he ever tasted. I
1: think we need to Vosh don't I, I think we need to be able to weigh in on that. Don't don't you agree? Well I weigh by way in be tasted I'm saying hey, I yeah. we're we're not gonna trust Buddy to make that decision. <laughs> I mean
2: because Buddy has been known to lie but I'm going to be you know, know. <laughs>
1: and it, it could have been for ratings it could have been all those things. I think okay, we festival. need to the pretty
4: festival. smile. It
2: could have been any reason whatsoever. First of
4: all that man ain't not have no reason to lie to us. <laughs> Let me tell you that. And I don't think, and you know, and I, and I, know, y'all, I know y'all joking. But yeah. you, you know no. that, Oh, no. Okay. If you, cook, if you guys cook, right? If you yes. cook or made a dish before and people have had your product or your dish and, you know, either they knew you made it or didn't know you made it, that, that response that you get, you know what a genuine response Absolutely. looks
1: like. Absolutely. And
4: that was a, like the way this man said, this is the best cake I ever had. I don't get mad if I steal this recipe and put it on my menu. Like he's
0: constantly
4: wow. drilling right. in how wow. he was truly, he truly enjoyed what he just ate. And he's That's never right. had that type of cake
2: before. That's excellent. Right. Yeah. I mean, it sounds yeah. absolutely unique. So I, well, mean, I,
0: I, I, yes. I know how Buddy felt. Okay.
2: Cause when I sliced that <laughs> birthday cake, and there were 10
0: other people waiting for a slice behind me, I was like, can can four of you all leave now? Okay, because I have <laughs> mine, So I know what Buddy's talking about. I'm sorry, I didn't mean it to interrupt. I just had to get and a I'm, plug. I'm going no, to say,
4: I need your help, Ivan. I had
1: to get a plug in there. Bash and I can vouch. Like, he has literally, from the moment he shared with us that you were going to be on the show, whenever he mentions your name, he's like, guys, this man, <laughs> like, that you've earned your name, and so Vosh and I are a little salty. We're not going. We're not, we're not going to, you know, pour tea on on air,
0: but we're a little salty because I know. I know.
4: I know. I'm
0: salty. Hold on. I'm in, in, in the whole spirit of Thanksgiving. Mr. <laughs> Bake has been busy. Okay. Yes. And I was trying to look, I, viewers. You know how I do. I'm a giver. I was trying to get cake shipped. Okay? Was. I was, was. Look, I was trying to go pick it up and take it. Really i been to go down. Oh, we it, it, we it. All because you are not gonna get me, and
2: put me up against the wall, because you know No, I, no, no. We do. We do not want to feel, make you feel bad that you're here without cakes for us. I, for I for would yourself. hate to make you feel bad speak about that. <laughs> it. Speak for yourself. That's why next. I said he said he said, because right. he said he wants some cake. next, <laughs> next question. Okay. I just know, okay i noticed that you use your platform and your baking as for activism you are very very active in terms of promoting equality for the lgbtqia plus communities why is that important for you
4: um one because i am a member of the community uh two growing up in you know the 90s and looking out my window or uh, listening to what adults was saying or just the whispers in the streets of just how the world has always looked down on us and shunned us. And I'm glad that you had me on when we were just talking to the doctor most recently. And just, you know, the stigma you heard around HIV AIDS, the stigma they put around black people and then black queer people at that. And I've always, as a young kid, always said that I wanted to be a part of creating change. Absolutely. <clears throat> but you know, what happened was I lost my mother in 2017, which is really what pushed me to do this and through that Coming through that adversity, um, God spoke to me. The universe spoke to me, and it was like, you know what? One after doing the first show, I had a really good time, and I was like, I should do more TV. But then something hit me. It was like, there's nobody in this in your arena on on national television or who's you know traveling who represents our community as an openly black or brown queer person. There's nobody. We can't. We got to call a halt. We have the Bobby Flays, we have the Cake Bosses, and the list goes on. You know what I mean? But we don't have anybody who we can sit there and say, "Hey, a, a young black or brown person can say, I want a queer person can say, I want to be like Kareem.'" I, you know what I mean? And it wasn't just, "Oh, I want to be like Kareem," but it was like, "I want them to understand it's okay to show your full self."
1: Absolutely. You know what I
4: mean? And I think that that's truly the big message. Um, and I just happen to do it through television and, and, and do it through um, my passion of baking. But it's really about it's okay to be yourself. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Let's break down these stigmas. Let's start walking in our light and start walking in our truth. You know what I mean. So that, that so that was the catalyst and the reason why I decided to be very boisterous about it and um, start to work on myself so that I can stand grounded in in my truth and in my person. Absolutely.
2: Do you think you're making an impact?
4: I do. I believe so. Um, People have already, you know, chimed on me if it's DMs, um, messaging or see me in the street. They're just really proud about, you know, representation. They they make sure, like, the people that know, they make sure they say they're like, yo, thank you for showing up for us. Like, you make, you putting us on, and I like that. You know, they're like, when I did the Beat Bobby Flay episode, they was like, yo, there's nobody in television who looks like you and who is doing what you are doing.
1: Right on. That's really that's really powerful. Uh, you mentioned some of your training, culinary school, etc. I I would, I would imagine a range of experiences in terms of, you know, uh, either working for yourself or working with others and, and your training and so forth. What would you say has most prepared you for this moment, this moment where you find yourself today? Was it the actual formalized training or was it experiences in, in other uh, venues?
4: Oh my God. All right. So to be honest, you can't really answer that question um truthfully and put it all in one place because I'm a believer that everything that I was ex- everything that I've experienced, this whole my whole life yeah. journey has prepared me for this particular space and this mm-hmm. place that I'm about to walk into. I feel well, a word I'm
1: coming up. I'm about to shout over here. Come on. Yeah, here. no. <laughs> <laughs> Who <do> I
0: hate
1: <laughs> that place?
4: But I will I will yeah. say the biggest thing is community. Yes. Growing up in Harlem, I'm from Harlem, Sugar Hill, 148th and College, if those who know anything about New York City
2: or Harlem. Um and I said be- a hip the yeah. hop a hibbit to hibbit to hip to hip. It, hip, it, hip uh, you <laughs> oh my God. I
4: think the community and my family pouring into my passions. I served a lot of people cakes. You know what I mean? If I, you know, if I was my mannerisms might have been a little feminine. At the time, they didn't chastise me. They didn't cast mm-hmm. me out. My family mm-hmm. still loved me. So I'm so blessed and grateful um, to have um, that type of support and the support of the community. So I would mm-hmm. always say that the community is and has been um, the reason why Mr. Bake is where he's at. I was just driving the boat. You know what I mean? For the
1: boat. That's beautiful. So it's they, clear I mean, that people have poured into you and. Your mission, obviously, is pouring it's, into others. It's to fall
4: back. You know, as, as as Maya Angelou said um, in several of her speeches, is, you know, be a rainbow in somebody's cloud. And that mm-hmm. struck me because people have been rainbows in my cloud, Absolutely. you know, just by being honest to God, truth about how the product tastes. Um, or just sampling the product or just encouraging me and tapping me on my back. I didn't know how important that was until most recently.
1: Well, I look forward to being a rainbow in your cloud and tasting of this cake. At Thank you so much, Bobby. <laughs>
0: uh, Mr. Bate, clearly, from, from one creative to another, um, you come up with some of the most creative and some of the most amazing cake designs. Okay. Where where does all of that come from? Where does your your creativity come from when you are about to embark on on one of your creations? On the
4: creation? Um, a lot of different things. So one of them would be the client. You know, you're making something for a client. You always want to get their perspective because you, you want to please them. That's number one, they're paying you. Um, and then number two, I, I draw a lot of inspiration. New York, again, uh, one of my most therapeutic um, things in New York was to walk around. Um, I used to take really long walks and I love the architecture of the building. I love the art and design of fashion that people would wear, their hair, their nails. You know they're speaking so a lot of my inspiration is drawn from um a lot of the things that i see um and then sometimes like flavor profiles c- come in my head you know what i mean just like that you know if you as you said you're creative so you know we're a little weird you know so yeah. when we thinking about setting in the middle of like being out you're like oh you know this flavor this flavor work together and you're like yo we have a drink what you talking about bro?
2: <laughs> and you know
4: so i go back in the lab aka the kitchen and now I'm whipping it up you know so a lot of it um, draws from, like I said, outside influences. But when it comes to like the palate or uh, flavor combinations, that usually interacts in my head over things that I ate already too. You know what I mean? Just in my field, I make sure I eat a lot of different things from different bakeries
2: or pastry chefs and things like that. Okay. okay. So what is your favorite flavor combination? <laughs> He's like... What?
4: Ooh. All right. Um, so one that sticks in my head is one I actually did for Food Networks uh the big bake. And it is a chocolate cake. I do a um raspberry preserves, uh vanilla cream cheese, and then a uh fresh strawberry slices um on top of it. And it's layered. So my all of my cakes are four layers of cake and three layers of filling. So you have these as soon as you cut into it, it I like to build flavor profiles in my slice cakes. Um, so I'm not just like, oh, I want a red velvet cake by itself with cream cheese frosting. I'm like, oh, let's add chocolate ganache or raspberry preserves, you know what I mean? Let's jazz it up and let's really play with our palette um, and introduce new things to our lives. That's the only way we're going to change is we challenge ourselves to do things out of our norm.
1: Oh my goodness. So I have a quick two-parter, <laughs> uh, quick two-parter. Uh, first of all, uh, that sounds wonderful in, in so many ways, um, but you know, we, the, the co-hosts, we were talking about uh, also dietary restrictions and, and things like, so I'm, I'm curious about, you know, um, do the dietary restrictions interrupt the creativity for you? Uh, are you able to still produce these things with, you know, meeting some of these dietary restrictions? And, and of all the people that you've baked something for, of, of course, outside of Alvin King, who would you say has been like the most well-known? All right, all
4: right. So, number one, dietary restrictions. That I tell people I bake with love, so you don't worry about that. But no, honestly, um, I have been challenged in my new space to create things that um, meet dietary restrictions because now I am reaching a broader spectrum of people, and you just never know who the product is gonna land in their hands yeah, or you know don't want to limit yourself. your name. So we've been doing some vegan and gluten-free products. I haven't really I'm looking to experiment more in that realm to create the level of of, of quality of product that I that's that's the Mr. Big standards. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um so I'm still working there, so okay. I honestly I do still all full fat or sugars and all of that. So I if you have dietary restrictions, I am the wrong person to come to because I'm putting all types of slugs into what I yes, and, and so let's back. And then out of all the people, ooh. Um, I would probably say it was. Outside of
1: Alvin King, of course. OK, OK, OK. Um, I was, you did say that, but I, I look,
0: I was being humble. But don't I, 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 That's why I said outside of Alvin. I was oh, being oh. humble.
4: I, um, all right, I'm gonna say this. And I didn't think I was be baking. Um for, okay, so the cake I just mentioned, um, the guy I made that cake for um is a, a well-known cake artist, his name is Ben Ron Israel. Um, he's white, but he's also um in the queer community. Mm-hmm. He's been he's a like I'm a fan of his. Like I'm one of his, you know, so for me to bake for him and for him to leave off and saying this was the perfect chocolate cake, I was sold on that. I was like, ah, give it to me. But I was graced to to bless like Shirley Shepherd most recently, um, where she um, literally forgot she was on TV um, and devoured the cupcake, and she has dietary restrictions. And I was no, I was I was privy to that. So I didn't think she was going to eat the product the way she did. And baby, when I tell you she devoured the product, dropped the product on the floor, kicked it under the table, and then this is friday I, I did that taping with her following monday she made me a part of her hot topics and said mr bake i never had a cake taste so good you wow. need to get him back on the show wow so to me i think that was the most beautiful moment because she didn't have to do that yeah um and she came in i was notified of, that she was coming the day before she came um and to get that type of response and reaction um, from her it was beautiful um and blessing.
1: Congratulations. That's great. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Thank you. So what's next for Mr. Bakes? Whoa. So more TV and more TV. Mm -hmm. Um, You'll definitely
4: see uh, me hitting on the national screen again. We're looking to hit that hard, but now you're looking, I'm going to be doing uh, more, telling more of my story, but also um, showcasing more of being a judge and a host. That's the goal is now we're
1: at paid gigs, baby. No more
4: competitions. Um and then uh well, you're
1: established uh, now, so, yeah, right. so now <laughs> you now you're judging it. others. That, that's it. Thank you,
4: Bobby. That's exactly how that's I feel. It. Thank that's you, Bobby. That's um it. and then as well as I started a dinner series called The Family Table. And it basically brings together uh queer people of all walks together um, through food, because you know food always brings us together. Oh, we got mm-hmm. Bobby? okay, brings us to food. So you'll see a lot more of my dinner series running. 2023, so now I'm looking to do like every two months where we host dinner series that are
2: uh, topic based.
0: Okay, right well,
2: well, will you come back to us with whatever whenever you feel like okay. it, whenever you got some stuff to talk Please about? Please call
0: us because yeah. we want to make sure that, that we keep Mister Bake on the plate. We want to pour. We want to pour into. We want to pour. Wait Thank a minute! Did, a did I just book come you, up with a rhyme? Book me in. Did in I just say Mister Bake on the plate? Yes, you yes, did. <laughs> Look, don't
2: sleep
1: on it. Don't view, on one, it. One of the viewers even said, like, he should be drinking Mr. Chocolate. Like I'm just view saying, view don't view sleep
0: on it. it <laughs> well, no, we, 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 we have reached the, the end of our show, ladies and gentlemen. And if we could bring um, Stephen back in. Thank you, Mr. Bake, for this Thank wonderful, you. wonderful interview. Um, ladies and gentlemen, next week uh, we are doing our luxury holiday dining show. And we're going to have, she's returning. We're going to have Chef Catrell back Love to Chef talk Cattrall. to you about luxury holiday, holiday dining. And Stephen and Mr. Baker, if you haven't met Cattrall, y'all need to meet yes, Okay, yes. Y'all, 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 y'all need to meet catering. Our words of the week this week, ladies and gentlemen, is about overcoming obstacles. Obstacles don't have to stop you. If you run into a wall, don't turn around and give up. Figure out how to climb it, go through it, or work around it. And these Amen. were words by basketball legend, Michael Jordan, ladies and gentlemen. So I wanna say thank you to our special guest tonight, uh, Dr. Stephen Abbott and Mr. Bay. Thank you all for joining the fellas here on He Said, He Said, He Said, he Said. We Love You. Thank you, thank the you. The show has made and- me hungry. and and please please go to his website and we've listed it and you can order, you can go pick up I know all about it, I just didn't show up today but I will be there soon believe me, ladies and gentlemen thank you for joining us and we can't wait to see you next week on our new episode of He Said He Said
2: He Said Thanks everybody, I got some leftovers waiting for me (laughs) (laughs) Thanks lad